Every cottager knows there's a precise art to roasting the perfect marshmallow. To get one that's golden on the outside and liquid on the inside, without it bursting into a charred ball of flames, you need to turn it slowly over a fire that's died down to glowing embers. Which means you need a lot of patience. But if you have kids around the campfire, patience isn't always an option. Especially when pesky mosquitoes are distracting you from the task at hand. That's why new, off, family care, smooth and dry mosquito repellent is a campfire essential. It repels mosquitoes for up to five hours, and it goes on as smooth powder instead of an oily, greasy film. Try it at your next campfire, and you'll be ready to master the patient art of marshmallow roasting. Hi, I'm Michelle Kelly, Editor-in-Chief of Cottage Life magazine. In this episode, we have cottage entertaining tips take a closer listen to the yellow-bellied sapsucker, and why a deck of cards, or three, are a staple at any cottage. This is the Cottage Life Podcast, where every day is the weekend. Amy Rosen has serious cottage cred, especially when it comes to food and entertaining. She's been visiting her family's cottage on Lake Simcoe her entire life. In fact, that's where she's been for the past month. She's the author of five cookbooks, most recently Kosher Style, which came out in the fall of 2019. She's also a recipe developer for major Canadian publications, including Chatelaine, The Globe and Mail, and Canadian House and Home. And, oh yeah, Cottage Life. And if her cottage cred still needed any bolstering, I offer you this tidbit— Amy founded Rosen's Cinnamon Buns, a Toronto bakery famous for that most spectacular of cottage treats. Amy is joining me to share her tips on how you can master the art of cottage entertaining without lifting a finger. No pressure, right, Amy? No pressure. No pressure. (laughs) So tell me, first off, tell me a little bit about your cottage and who you share it with. So it's my parents' cottage and... I'm lucky enough to be invited here. All their kids are invited with their families. So right now it's just um, my parents and one of my brothers and his wife and their two little kids and me for the long haul. But uh, everyone's been coming and going socially distant. And uh, it's been a, you know, a medium full house. Normally it would be much busier, but we're having people over just in the back and I'm barbecuing or they're bringing their own food, whatever they're comfortable with. So it, it's been still a pretty uh, typical summer so far, but just half the amount of people. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I, we, you know, we conceived of this interview talking about cottage entertaining in general, but cottage entertaining in summer 2020 is kind of a whole other thing mm-hmm. because of the pandemic, of course. But let's put that aside and we'll pretend that we're just in the before times and we're really just talking about how it normally is, whatever. Okay. I love the before times. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Who doesn't? Of course. So given that you're a pretty prominent food person and and you're like, actually Canada's queen of the cinnamon bun. Do you feel pressure to really put on a show when you're entertaining at the lake? I guess, unfortunately for everyone who comes here, I feel zero pressure. (laughs) And I just kind of, I'm here to relax as well. So I'm going to give you food. It's going to be well prepared and tasty, but I'm not going to make it fancy or go all out. It'll be plentiful, but uh, it's going to be easy for me to prepare it. For me, it's like, 
as if I'm a mess, a mess hall cook in the army. So how many people do we have coming? How many pieces of chicken do I think they'll eat? What are the vegetables and other sides going to be? Let's do it. Everyone out of the kitchen. Dinner will be ready in a half an hour. That's how I do it. I feel like that's fantastic because you're actually cooking everyone. Like, do you cook all the meals all weekend? Well, kind of breakfast and lunch is take care of yourself, but it's, you know, there's enough food there that you'll have fruit or granola or, you know, it's a continental breakfast, if you will. Mm-hmm. And uh, lunch is often going to be sandwiches and chips and whatever. I'm telling you, really low, you know, cut up vegetables. And then dinner is when we we go all out. And during the day, maybe I'll bake something like a pie or rogalach or um, chocolate chip cookies. Just, you know, you got to give people a little treat, a little homemade treat. I guess maybe I feel a little pressure to bake something for people. It's not always going to be cinnamon buns, but uh, it's going to be something that is not store-bought. So I guess the question is, when it is cinnamon buns, do people really get up for it? Are they psyched? Well, I, I haven't met anyone who doesn't love a cinnamon bun, so. No, especially a cottager. I, I find that it is truly the thing that it's like, I would never indulge in a, I don't think I'll ever eat a cinnamon bun anywhere but at the cottage for some reason. I find that interesting. Yeah, same with butter tarts. Yes. I We only eat them at the cottage, never in the city. Yes, and we eat them in multiples. It's not just one. <laughs> it's like, eat them till they're gone. <laughs> Why would you eat one when you can eat three? Exactly. Or four, maybe. Yeah. Um, okay. So tell me this. What, we were sort of touching on it. What What is different about cottage entertaining from entertaining at home? Like you just said that you're perfectly fine to like give your guests a sandwich. But I kind of suspect that in the city, you maybe wouldn't do that. Well, I don't have people over for lunch in the city. But for I swear for dinner, it's, it's kind of the same thing. Instead of... Uh, a bunch of barbecue chicken uh, and roasted vegetables and stuff. It, it Maybe it's going to be uh, my brisket recipe with roasted potatoes and a salad or roasted carrots with pomegranate. You know, y- you make big vats of, uh, you know, one type of vegetable, let's say, and then it's what you put on it that kind of ups the appeal. For instance, we had a bunch of asparagus and I'm like, well, we're getting a bit sick of, of uh, roasted asparagus. So maybe I make a quick blender hollandaise and everyone ooze and ahs. And it took me one minute to make that. But it but it ups the game, you know, substantially. Right. And it makes it makes asparagus less. I mean, I find in it at this time of year when the asparagus is so delicious, I guess we've just sort of coming out of asparagus season. But yeah, it's so good. But then you get to, you know, week three of eating asparagus every night and it does, it needs a little holidays. Yeah. You, you just don't want to get bored with eating the delicious seasonal ingredients because you want to keep eating them, yeah. but you also want to switch it up. So I often make roasted cauliflower with tahini and lemon and, and sometimes a drizzle of pomegranate molasses. But yesterday I made one, I'm like, let's try to do this whole roasted cauliflower head on the barbecue. So I like it's something I learned in Churchill, Manitoba. I smeared it with like mayonnaise and Parmesan and a bit of Dijon. I put it on offset heat and then full heat. And it was like roasted and golden brown and salty. And oh. it was delicious and so easy. 
Yeah. And it's kind of like showy, but not that hard. It's, oh my God. Yeah. Everyone's like, what is this all about? Yeah. 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 I love that. I mean, I, I often talk to cottagers and they get really panicky about, you know, we have to make a real plan and we yeah. have to make sure that this is going to be here and this is going to be there. But then when I talk to people like you who are real experts at entertaining in food, you, they say the same thing. It's like, keep it simple, do one special thing. No one will care. That's, I think that's exactly it. That's where I won't say people go wrong, but it's when they're not enjoying it because they're not relaxed because they want to make these special little canapes and three different drinks and they want to appease and appeal to everyone. And what I will do is ask for allergies, ask for likes and dislikes. So often the kids will get their own little, here's your cut up vegetables. Here's two pieces of plain chicken for you, you know, because you want to make sure everyone's eating. I guess some people lack confidence in the kitchen, but I would say that that's why being at the cottage is actually a better venue to kind of get your your feet in, in the kitchen and entertaining for a lot of people, because I think people aren't expecting as much as of you because ingredients are limited at the cottage. Um, right, right. And don't bring all the little different herbs and sauces, whatever. Again, like you say, keep it simple and just kind of straightforward, delicious food is cottage or not is what people want to eat. And again, throw, you know, some interesting seasonings on top or pops of herbs from your garden, your little herb garden. Yeah. Or um, toast some nuts and sprinkle it on top. Right. It's just these little touches that make it a little more memorable. And, you know, buy barbecue sauce, but make it your own by adding who knows, like a little honey or a little teriyaki, whatever you like. And then you can say it's homemade. <laughs> yeah, like. well, yeah, and special. And and you don't even have to tell them that it was bought at the store and one ingredient was added. You can fake it. Well, and I also say, I mean, I'm no cottage cook or entertainer. It's not certainly not my long suit, but I will say I've never been to a cottage where there has been people there who aren't happy with like a beer and a bag of chips on the end of the talk. Like, I do think that they've got a fallback plan there for sure. Like, I can't have Cheetos in my house at home, but they're here and that's where I indulge in them. So, like, I'll never tell people to bring up food to the cottage because I don't want a bunch of mismatched things and what now what do I have to do with this and whatever. So, but I will say, fine, bring up some wine and beer, bring up some chips. If you see a homemade pie on the way up, pick it up, pick up some berries, but just like don't assign people a dish to bring. That That's just me because I, I like to be in control. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> yeah. See, that's funny because I have often done it where, okay, like you get this meal and you get this meal. But the one rule that I always, if I assign someone a meal, they not only have to make the meal, they have to clean the meal, they have to serve the meal, like start to finish. So everyone else can truly not be involved and just sit around the whole time. And then then when it's your turn, you're on and you have to do it. But every other meal, you don't have to do anything. And it's just very easy. And there isn't this sort of um, guilt or feeling like you need to pitch in. It's like, these are the rules. And But of course, like if you've got an Amy Rosen in the kitchen, like maybe that doesn't count. No, no, no. I, I like your plan. I like your plan for when there's not an Amy Rosen in the kitchen. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but 
No, because to that point, though, there are people who love to cook and they come up to the cottage. And if they want to cook that night, of course, get in there. I'm happy to sit here drinking some rosé or whatever. Like, Yeah, yeah, yeah. hundred percent. I'm not going to stop people from doing that. And, and I have to say, uh, one of my ulterior motives, I clean as I go when I'm cooking. However, it means it's not up to me to clear the table or, or empty the dishwasher after. Right. Yes. I love that. I'd, I'd rather cook than clean. Yeah. Those are my, my most hated jobs. So it works for me. Yeah. That's very yeah. clever. Very clever. Okay. So you touched on something and this is a big thing right now and that's dealing with food sensitivities or different dietary choices. So, you know, you get when you're entertaining at the cottage, you might have like, you have a huge age range. Yeah. Maybe you just, you know, alluded to that with kids, but also you might have someone who's a vegetarian and you might have someone who's gluten-free and you might have someone who's nut free. Uh, I'm vegetarian, but I eat fish or whatever. So if you're serving this sort of all of these needs, like how do you do that? How do you approach all of that? Well, that's where keeping it simple still helps. So for instance, in this cottage right now, there the age range is uh, six years old to newly 82. There was a birthday last week. And there are lactose intolerant people. There's vegetarian. There are obviously a couple children. There's teenagers. You just, um, here's chicken. Okay, you don't want chicken. Here's a Beyond Beef burger. Right. Here is here are different sides. Here are cut up veggies for the kids, and here are roasted vegetables or barbecue vegetables for the adults. Like it's not about making a different meal, but it's about tweaking it. Someone does, you know, make a big salad. Don't dress the salad. Keep the croutons on the side or, or the candied nuts on the mm-hmm. side. You know, mm-hmm. so it becomes a bit of a salad bar. So you're not making multiple meals, but you are tweaking what you need to tweak so that everyone is happy, happy and fed. Now, if you're a vegetarian, if you've invited someone to the cottage who's a vegetarian and they're the only one, do you think it's okay or not okay to say to them, you know what, can you bring your own like Beyond Meat Burger? Can you bring, you know, bring a bean casserole or whatever it is that they want to eat. Like, I think that a lot of cottagers, it's so much about the barbecue and it's so much about meat that, that there is a little bit of uncertainty on like, if you have a guest or say it's like your friend's teenage daughter and she, you know, she won't eat meat. And so what is your obligation as a host there to like, make sure that you're catering to their very specific? Yeah. So I would say that, okay. And I, I'm in, I guess, a bit of a different position because for whatever reason, 85% of my group of friends ha- have been vegetarians for over 20 years. So I'm just used to it. And so I'm going to make sure they're included. And if I was a vegetarian or vegan and I was going to everyone to someone's cottage and everyone else was asked to just come as you are, don't bring a thing, but I was asked to bring my own food, I'd be insulted because how difficult is it for the cottage owner or the host, if you will, mm-hmm. um, to buy a pack of Beyond Meat Burgers for me or a block of tofu yeah, or a few extra vegetables. It's different. If everyone's assigned to bring something, yeah, then you don't know or you don't want to buy Beyond Meat Burgers or any sort of veggie burgers or um, you don't know what kind this person likes because some people react to the tofu ones right. versus the pea protein ones or right. whatever. So you can just ask them their favorite and maybe when when they're telling you their favorite, they'll say, you know what, don't bother. I know where to get it. I'll just bring my own. It's common sense, really. You know what? I, I find that all of life and all of cooking is common sense. <laughs> you know, good. it's just That's like, <laughs> it really is all, yeah, yeah, yeah. all this stuff. 
Well, it's funny though, because I do think at the cottage, people like barbecuing is an event, is a sport. So I think it's like, we're trying to do this in the magazine all the time is trying to offer more options for the barbecue that yeah. are not meat. And, and, you know, we, you know, we offer meat too. It's not, it's not one or the other. It's like, you actually can make a delicious meal no matter what, and you can do it on the barbecue, which I, I think that that's a sort of thing that's changing in the general zeitgeist. But mm-hmm. anyway, listen, these are some great tips. I am going to try that cauliflower on the barbecue this weekend. It sounds delicious. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and chatting with me about entertaining. And I hope you have an awesome time at the cottage for the rest of the summer. Thank you. You too. It is great chatting with Amy. I want to go to her cottage. While Amy definitely taught me a lot about the food part of entertaining, all cottagers know that entertaining is more than just what you put on the table. But I'm going to take a page out of her book there too. Keep it simple. I always say the one thing you need to make sure of when you have guests is to make them feel like the place is theirs too. Encourage them to take any game they'd like out of the cupboard, to use the hammock whenever it's free, and to help themselves to any of the drinks in the fridge, as long as they replenish, of course. Because a guest that feels comfortable is one that won't bother you, and you can all get down to the most serious of cottage business, relaxing. There's my own little bit of common sense for you. Have you ever experienced the woodpecker alarm clock at the cottage? We've gotten letters from readers who are woken up by these noisy fellows early in the morning. There was one letter I recall where they were banging on the metal chimney every day for weeks. I'm here with Leanne Bobechko, Cottage Life's deputy editor and our resident nature enthusiast, to talk about what they're up to when they drive us crazy first thing in the morning. Hi, Leanne. Hi, Michelle. So what's the scoop here? Do woodpeckers just want to drive cottagers bananas by waking them up early? It sure can feel like that when you're hiding your head under your pillow trying to sleep. When I asked Kathy Jones at Bird Studies Canada, she said that the bird that's probably making the racket is the yellow-bellied sapsucker, which is in fact a woodpecker. But no, it's not for you that they're hammering away. Okay, so then what are they up to? Are they looking for insects to eat? Sometimes they pick up bark to search for ants and other insects, like woodpeckers are known to do. And they do drill into trees like maple and birch to get at tree sap. No surprise there, given their name. So, when you hear that rhythmic sound that you heard at the start, what is that about? That's them sending out a message. And it's the same old message as with a lot of the nature sounds we've talked about together. Do you want to take a guess? Well, if I had to guess, I would say it's mostly about mating and defending territory. Is that right? Ding, ding, ding. Yes. Woodpeckers (laughs) drum to, one, establish their turf, and two, to advertise themselves to potential mates. Okay, but isn't it a bit weird that they'd use a metal chimney to do that? It's the same reason they drum on utility poles and dead hollow trees. It broadcasts the sound farther, which, when you're trying to protect an area of between five and seven acres, is the name of the game. Ah, so they are trying to be as loud as possible here. So they are trying to drive us crazy. (laughs) What else can you tell us about this drumming sound? We heard it at the opening, but let's take another listen. You know what that kind of reminds me of, which is weird because I've never been there, but it reminds me of late night at Carnival in Brazil or something. (laughs) Yeah, I hear what you mean. 
It starts out with those few fast beats followed by slower, more rhythmic pounding, sort of a stutter. It's slower and more irregular than some of our other woodpeckers drumming. Some experts say it sounds a bit like Morse code. Which is really cool because like with Morse code, they are sending out a message. And in this case, the message is something like, this is my house. All you other male sapsuckers better steer clear. But if you're a lady looking to mate, it's the best neighborhood for raising chicks. Are you free tonight? <laughs> That's a pretty complicated message for Morse code and for a bird. What do the birds <laughs> themselves look like? Should we be able to catch a glimpse? They're cute little robin-sized birds that are black and white primarily. You'll often see them flying with a swooping kind of bouncy flight pattern. Males and females have a red forehead, and the male also has a red throat. So when can cottagers expect them to stop making this racket? Usually the really loud and persistent drumming falls off around mid-May. Okay, okay, that's good news for them. Um, but am I mistaken in thinking that I actually have heard this sound over the summer as well? Yes, you're right about that. You can continue to hear this distinctive drumming in the summer months too, just not with the same intensity. Uh, okay, so in the spring, they kind of have spring fever, but after that, they die down a little bit. Right. In addition, all through the summer, you might catch them tapping holes in trees to get at sap, as we touched on before. They make these tidy vertical and horizontal lines of evenly spaced holes, which can be both round and rectangular. So that's another clue, a visual clue, that sap suckers are around. They eat the sap, but they also gobble up the insects that are drawn to the sap wells. Ah, so it's the circle of life. So one more thing I've always wondered about is how do these woodpeckers not hurt their heads when they're drumming so quickly? It's pretty amazing, isn't it, that they don't do serious damage to their heads. And there are several reasons for that. Okay, so we recently covered what I think is one in the magazine, and it has to do with the length of their tongues. Is that correct? Yeah, that's partly right. So some species have long, really long, sticky tongues, and when they're not in use, they wrap them actually around their head. But some studies point to other features as being even more important in preventing mini woodpecker concussions. I mean, you had me yet they wrap their tongues around their head. That's, <laughs> that's bananas. Okay, so what are some of the other things that help them? One finding was that woodpeckers have spongy plate-like bones unevenly distributed in their skulls that cushion the force of the drumming's impact. That's one. Another, uh, there's some evidence suggesting that woodpeckers have less internal fluid around their brains than bigger animals. So you can think of it this way. When you shake a raw egg really hard, the yolk gets damaged. But in a hard-boiled egg, it doesn't. Huh. That's a really clear way of being able to visualize it. I like that. And the last one I'll mention I think is the most amazing. Woodpeckers have a specialized hyoid bone, which in humans is just above the Adam's apple. But in woodpeckers, that bone goes from behind their beaks and wraps around their heads, making a sort of sling or a seatbelt that secures the brain and keeps it from getting hurt. Wow. So you know what I'm going to say next. Nature's so cool. Nature is so cool. Incredibly cool. <laughs> I love that. Thank you again, Leanne, for shedding light on another species we're likely to see at the cottage. I'll definitely be keeping my eyes and ears out for this bird when I'm out and about this summer. Thanks, Leanne. Bye, Michelle. One of the things I love about working at Cottage Life is researching and discovering new things. And even after a lifetime of cottaging, there's always something new to learn. Although some things I wish I could unlearn. 
For instance, did you know that mosquitoes can detect the carbon dioxide in your breath from 75 feet away? So, if it ever feels like they're following you, whether you're out for a hike or paddling across a lake, you're probably right. But off, DEET-free mosquito repellent keeps them from biting, so you can enjoy your time outdoors. It works for up to five hours, it isn't greasy or oily like some other repellents, and it's safe for the whole family, six months and up. So this summer, maybe the mozzies will bug your neighbors with the blaring deck stereo instead of you. In my two-plus decades at the magazine, I've worn many hats. I started off as the office receptionist before moving on to the editorial team, and after many years of doing the hard work of visiting other people's cottages, I became editor-in-chief in late 2015. During that time, I've contributed a few essays of my own to the magazine. I was inspired to write this one from all my time playing cards at the cottage. It was published in our winter 2002 issue. All Hands on Deck is read by me. Michelle Kelly. At the cottage, there are few hands more treasured than those that make up a deck of cards. Dog-eared and mismatched, used as often for drinking games as for gin rummy, cottage decks aren't exactly bridge club approved, being far better suited to a rousing round of go fish than to the serious bidding practices of dedicated hoylists. It's no exaggeration to say that our cottage games cupboard holds at least 500 cards, but I'm not sure that you'd be able to scrape together more than three or four decks of 52. Decks that match, at least. If you're okay combining the scenes of Ireland with the Aloha Hawaii leftovers, the total might rise to five, but we're still looking at quite a few homeless monarchs. The portable nature of cottage cards means they often get separated from their mates and end up in some unusual places, when, say, the errant jack of hearts accidentally gets blown off the dock into the lake or falls between the cracks of the porch boards, a spare joker must fill in, with a hastily drawn symbol splashed across its bicycle. Strategic card holding must then be employed to hide the identity of the pristine-looking newbie lurking among the weathered warriors. For instance, if the card with the torn-off corner, known by all to be the evil queen of spades, is spotted in an opponent's hand during a game of Crazy Eights, you can adjust your call accordingly and avoid picking up five. At our cottage, this furtive ID technique is most useful during post-supper euchre showdowns when all are on the lookout for table talk and a beat-up bower can signal to your partner the preferred call of suit. Strictly speaking, this cannot be classified as cheating, just doing your proper research. I suppose it wouldn't cost much to pick up a new deck, but we resist. New cards wouldn't fit so nicely in your hand and would slide too far across the table when played. And, as they say, new would be too good for the cottage. Isn't that what Bridge Club is for? That's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. Please subscribe to the Cottage Life podcast for free wherever you get your podcasts. We'll have new episodes every Thursday throughout the summer, just in time for your drive up to the cottage. The award-winning Cottage Life magazine has great tips and inspiration for cottage living. We have a special subscription deal for podcast listeners, including a bonus issue and a free gift. 
go to cottagelife.com slash pod for details. We'd love to hear from you. Post a review or email us at edit at cottagelife.com. To find out more about our magazine, our television shows, and our live events, visit cottagelife.com. This podcast is produced by Catherine Jun and me, Michelle Kelly. I'll see you on the dock. This podcast is funded in part by the Government of Canada.